Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Shall we pray? Our Lord God, we pray today that you would pierce hearts, that you would teach us what you desire from us. I pray for any that are here, Lord, who are at the point where we are contemplating and wondering about what it is exactly that you are about and what it is that you offer us, that our hearts may be open to hearing the invitation from you to experience the new life, to experience healing, to experience and receive salvation, which you desire to give to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in a sermon series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark is thought to be one of the earliest of the Gospels. It's a great bit of literature. Um, Hopefully you've had a chance to read it. Um, It was thought to be primarily based on the teaching of Peter, and Peter was Jesus' chief disciple. So Mark is very authentic. It's very real. It's very to the point. The teaching is, is more... Um, contracted, I guess, and uh, direct than some of the other Gospels. Um, But this beginning section is one of my favorite pieces of Scripture in the whole of the Bible, because to me, um, the beginning of Mark, as Jesus begins his ministry, really gets to the heart of what Christianity is about. And there was an article in the New York Times just this past week about why people hate religion. And we live in a time in which Christianity and religion has become highly, highly polarized because it's associated with politics. And so people, you know, in culture and at large, you hear people um, sometimes have very, very negative reactions towards Christians or towards Christianity in general. I think a lot of it is based on misunderstanding. So I'm a big guy. I'm a big believer in not losing the forest for the trees. And so sometimes I think it is very helpful for us as believers to take a step back and just to to say, what is this really all about? Like this Christianity thing, this church thing, being a disciple or follower of Jesus. Like, can we go back and see what is the heart of that? And so by going to the Gospels and by looking at Jesus, especially this passage, which is Jesus beginning his ministry, is going to help us to get to the very heart of what it's all about. And I think that what I want to suggest to you today is that whether you are somebody who you don't call yourself a Christian and you are kind of coming to this with an openness and a fresh perspective, or even if you're a person that has been a Christian for many, many years, I think that what you're going to find is that in this very, very short passage that the, the, it's going to challenge what you think on a couple different levels. And so I want to suggest to you today that there are kind of three corrections that this passage makes uh, about, about the gospel, about what you think it is. I'm going to suggest to you that being missional is a part of 
what it means to be a disciple, and I kind of explain what that means, and I'll close with just putting the invitation out there to actually personally for yourself to accept this this morning and to say, yes, I want this. I want to be a part of this. I want to accept what Jesus is about. So we'll start at the beginning, kind of correcting a couple misunderstandings that people have about Christianity. So the first thing that I'll say that when it comes to the gospel is, and I did not make this up, I think I heard Keller, Tim Keller say, a famous preacher in New York City, um, I'm not sure that Tim Keller made it up either. He probably didn't make it up because it's in the Bible. So really, the Bible made it up. God made it up. But basically, the first thing to understand is that the gospel is not primarily good advice. The gospel is good news. It is not primarily good advice. The gospel is not first and foremost about what you need to do, about how you need to live your life, or by any means what you need to do in order to try to please God, to impress God, or to earn salvation. If that's your understanding of the gospel, if you think that the, the Christian pastor and the church and the message is that you need to do this, you need to do that in order to be a good enough person for God, big red flag there, that is not what the gospel is about. It's not even about you need to be a loving person, although I, I do think you need to be a loving person. I need to be a loving person. But actually, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not about what you need to do. The gospel is news about something that has happened. It is an announcement, it is a proclamation. It is not good advice. It is good news. And the second we confuse that, and the second that we in the church or the Christians uh, begin to act like Christianity is primarily instructions and rules and laws about how you need to live your life, then the gospel loses its power. Because we live in a culture in which people get a lot of their value from their performance. And so really at the end of the day, if you come into church and the only thing the church has to offer you is to say, well, if you want blessing, if you want God's love, if you want to go to heaven, then you need to perform this, you need to perform that, you need to do these things, then actually the church is the exact same thing as the world. I mean, if you wanted advice on how to be happy or you wanted advice on how to enjoy your work and stuff like that, you could just Google these things. I mean, there's a million self-help books out there that can teach you like how to be, how to have more peace in your life and how to have more rest and how to be less stressed out and anxious. The gospel is radically different. It's not about what you need to do. It is about something that has happened. And to, to get a better feel for this, um, we just go back to that word gospel. So how many people know that you already knew that the gospel means good news? Show of hands if you knew that. Okay, so most of you, maybe 90% of you already knew the gospel means good news. The, the New Testament did not invent the word gospel, uh, so this may be new to you, but in the first century, the go gospel or good news was, was a word that was understood, it was commonly used, and what it was, it always was an announcement of some life-altering event that has happened that changes your status. It changes your reality. So a gospel is a good news announcement about a change in reality that when you hear it, when you hear this announcement, it changes things for you. The most common gospel in the first century was, maybe you didn't know this, Caesar is Lord. That was the gospel in the first century. Caesar is Lord. 
So people may be wondering about their lives, worrying about the economy, worrying about the world. The gospel was Caesar is Lord. And so that was the Pax Romana, right? The Roman Empire that Caesar has conquered this whole territory, that everything is under his rule and his reign, and he's bringing peace. So that is a kind of, uh, of gospel message. And so also, the, the word gospel was also used when there was a war of some, some sort. So imagine you live in a city-state, and your city-state is under attack from some foreign enemy. And so your, your army marches out to meet some invading army. And you don't have internet. You don't have Wi-Fi. So you really have no idea what has happened. But then you see a runner coming in the distance. Or maybe he's on a chariot. And he comes running. He's, he says, we proclaim peace. We proclaim peace. But that's the gospel message is that the king has won. We're not going to be invaded and be made slaves and be dragged out of our homes. The king has won. So... You see what I'm saying? It's a, that's a gospel message. It's an announcement of good news, but it, cha it fundamentally changes you because it changes your orientation in the world. So I was trying to think, you know, what are some examples of these types of announcements that have kind of a life-altering impact? Remember, the gospel is not good advice. It's good news. It's something has changed. Something has happened. And um, I think that uh, when my wife agreed to marry me. <laughs> that was radically good news. I, I asked her. It was in a tent. This was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This was about 16 years ago. I had set up um, roses and some chocolate-covered strawberries in a tent, and I had a ring, which I had purchased. I think that you can sometimes tell the, uh, the station of a person's life by how big the ring is, because we were just like out of college. So, the, so unfortunately, the, the diamond is not, is not that big. But it's because I, was, I, I did the best that I could. You know, I, was just, uh, I was just right out of college. But, but anyway, she said yes. That's a gospel message right there, because her saying yes changes my life. If she had said no, then that means nothing changes. That means we just keep going. I mean, no, that, I mean, a lot would have changed if she had said no. That would, have been, that would have been disastrous. But she said yes, and so that's something worth writing home about. That's like, Mom and Dad, she said yes. I'm getting married. You see, my whole life changed from this gospel message, her saying yes. So maybe some of you were in high school and you were applying to colleges and then you got an email or a letter in the mail and it said you have been accepted to NYU. That is a gospel message because that is good news that fundamentally changes your life, changes what you're about, changes your future. You are now an NYU student. Wow. It's a gospel message. Um, maybe another kind of gospel message, you know, when Pastor Jesse and, and Megan, when they were uh, having their first child and the doctor said, it's a boy, it's a boy. That, that is an announcement. And the fact that they are now going to be parents of a son, that is a radically life-changing, altering statement. And so just remember here, and I'll explain what is so good and what is so life-altering about this gospel message, but never forget the gospel message is not first and foremost about what you need to do to live a good life. It is what has been done for you. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat through a sermon, which is not that many because I'm usually the one preaching, but I was, uh, I was on vacation recently and I, I was at a, a visiting a church and the pastor was preaching on that passage where uh, Joshua leads the people through the Jordan River and then after they pass through the Jordan River, um, they set up a bunch of stones called an Ebenezer and the stones are a marker to make a memorial to the Lord so that whenever the people see the stones, then they may remember this great event where God rescued the people. And, and so the sermon became 
essentially, he spent about, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes talking about how we need to create memorials in our lives. And we need to erect stones, not, not literal stones, but he said we need to have special moments, which I agree, special moments are good. You know, it's, it's good to commemorate important things that happen. But at the end of the day, you know, if all you do is you come to church and you hear about what you need to do, what more you need to do, and okay, so maybe it's smart, it's a wise thing to create special moments, but really at the end of the day, if that's all it is, then nothing's really changed. Then your life is still the same. And it's still up to you to go out and make something of yourself in the world. It's still up to you to try to do well in your job, to try to make as much money as you can so that you can be secure and you can be happy. But really, at the end of the day, you're still stuck. It's still the same old you in the same old situation with the same old issues and the same old struggles. And that's not what church is for. That, that's not what preaching is for. If you come to a sermon or you ever hear me give a sermon in which all you come away with are these are the things that I need to do, then I failed my job. Because a preaching sermon message is not, I'm saying the same thing over and over, I realize, but I, just for emphasis sake, it is not primarily about how to live a better life. It's not primarily about what you need to do different, although there is things you need to do different, I'm sure. But it is about something God has done for you. It is about a life-altering reality that God is bringing into this world. That's what it's all about, okay? So, I'm sure the suspense is building and you're dying to find out what exactly is this life-altering thing that God has done? What is the, the content of the gospel message? So, this brings me to correction number two that people get wrong about the gospel. And here it is, okay? The gospel is not primarily about how to get to heaven when you die, but it is about heaven actually coming near to us. That's the essence of it. So a lot of misunderstanding, I think, happens because when we hear the gospel, you hear Christians talk about the gospel, you read about the gospel, the primary concern seems to be what happens to you when you die. And so a lot of Christians think about hell and they think about heaven and there's this, you know, that, that's the urgency. Is it, well, am I going to go to hell or am I going to go to heaven? And so Christianity and the gospel and Jesus are seen as a ticket to heaven. And the, the idea there is that somehow this world doesn't matter. And what, what God is doing in the gospel is he, he rescues us out of the world so that we don't like go down with the ship. But friends, that, that's actually not the gospel. That's actually not it. That's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. Now, I do believe, of course, that the gospel teaches that through what Christ has done on the cross, we are freed from our sins. We are assured eternal life in heaven. I'm not questioning any of that. That is all true. But when we look at the specific way that Jesus Christ articulates what the gospel is in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he doesn't say anything about the, the afterlife. He doesn't say anything about sins. And he doesn't say anything about what happens to you after you die. What does he say? Verses 14 and 15. He comes proclaiming the good news. What is the gospel message? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the gospel message, this thing that has happened, what has happened the gospel message is that in Christ, it's not about you going to heaven when you die. It's about heaven coming here. It's about Jesus, the king, bringing this new reality 
into existence. And what does he say? He says, it's near. It's near. Why is the kingdom near? The kingdom is near because Jesus is here. And Jesus is the king. I'm using kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven interchangeably. I believe that when kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are used in the New Testament, they're referring to the same thing. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of heaven? It is the divine reality that the king is bringing into this world. So we can think of the world then as a place of darkness, a place of brokenness, a place of racism and discord between people, a a place of sickness. But when Jesus shows up on the scene as the king, as the son of God, he says the kingdom is near. What he's saying is that in the midst of all the wars, in the midst of all the brokenness, in the midst of everything that we see in this world that is not right, God is showing up. He's coming. He's, He's bringing his kingdom into this world. He says it's near. And then by implication, he's also saying you can be a part of it. You experience brokenness in your life. You experience addiction. or You experience relationships that have fallen apart. You experience sickness. You experience tyranny from all the different things in this world that are seeking to tyrannize us, whatever the case may be. Jesus is saying there's an end to that. And this new reality that I am bringing through the kingdom is giving you access uh, into heaven. It's giving you access into the restoring power of God. And friends, so Jesus preached this message roughly 2,000 years ago, but this is what preaching is all about. This is what the sermon is always about. What is God doing? The gospel is not primarily good advice. It's primarily news about what has shifted in our world. What has shifted? God has showed up. God has broken in. And he wants to break into your life. He wants to break into the city. He wants to break into the world, the kingdom. As you hear, as you hear me proclaim this, as you hear me say it, it is as true now by the power of the Spirit as it was true when Jesus was saying it. It is available. It is here. You can have a part of it. You can participate in this. Heaven is not some distant reality. It is not just a place you go to when you die. die. Heaven is right here through the preaching, through the power of the Spirit, and you can experience it. And this is the most exciting part of church and the most exciting part of ministry that I ever encounter is when you actually see this happen in people's lives. And I was having a conversation, you know, just what does this look like? Well, I was having a conversation one time with an NYU law student. And this woman was completely falling apart because I think she was going into her second year and the exams were happening and she was completely on the verge of having a mental breakdown. And I shouldn't be laughing, but it was pretty, it was pretty pathetic. It was, it was really sad, actually. But, and the problem was, as she explained to me, there was, she was experiencing all this performance anxiety and all this weight. She felt like the weight of the world was on her shoulders and felt like, I have to do good at this test. And if I, don't, if I fail this test, then I'm a loser and I'm nothing and I have no future. And so she came and she's crying and crying and pouring out her heart to me. And I explained to her about the love of the Father. And I explained to her, it's just so simple. I explained to her, you know, 
really, at the end of the day, God loves you. He loves you no matter how well or how badly you do on this test because the love of God is not something that can be earned. It's a gift. The kingdom uh, is about what God has done in this world. It's not about what you can do for God. It's, or, it's about what God has already done for you in Jesus Christ. And her face lit up. I've never seen anything like it. Her face lit up, and she looked at me. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really? And she prayed and accepted you know, Christ into her heart on the spot, and God radically changed her life right there in that moment because that, that's the kingdom breaking in. See, the kingdom is not this far-off thing that you can't have. It is a present reality. He says it's near. So it is something that is available to you. It is something that you can have. And I see this in people overcoming addiction, right? People are living their lives, and their lives are just spiraling out of control because of an addiction and people come to believe that God is greater than that and God is powerful and God can free them from this so that their lives don't have to continue to exist in this in this this downward spiral this downward cycle and and God radically brings his kingdom and what does the kingdom bring is a kingdom of renewal is a kingdom of peace is a kingdom of forgiveness is a kingdom of love like all the good things you could possibly think about. This is the kingdom. And through faith, through repentance, this kingdom becomes a reality in a person's life. And incredible, incredible things can happen. People can overcome even the power of addiction through what God does in their life. So this is the kingdom. This is not about what happens when you die, but it is about a new heavenly life that we have access to now. So then that brings me to my third, uh, my third kind of correction here about the gospel. How exactly then do we have access to this kingdom? He says it's near and it sounds good. And by the way, the, the next couple sermons for like the next three or four weeks are all going to be about different ways the kingdom manifests itself in the world as Jesus, you know, goes out in his ministry. He's doing all kinds of incredible things. But so I'm just giving a big picture now. But how do we access this? And Jesus says, uh, repeating again, verse 15, the time has come, come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And so the good news is not only that the kingdom is near, but that you personally can have access to it. You can get in. And it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter how much sin you've committed in your lifetime. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter how much money you are. It's a free, it's a total free for all. Uh, he says, it's available. It's here. How? Through faith and repentance. Now, here's the corrective. Okay, this is what people get wrong about faith and repentance. People think that repentance primarily has to do with feeling very badly about your sins or feeling very badly about yourself. And so when you hear people say repent, like kind of has like a negative, I think people in our culture, they perceive that word very negatively. It comes off kind of harsh. Like it means like I have to feel really bad about myself like I'm a horrible person. It's actually, not, it's actually not what it is. Repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia. And metanoia, two Greek words, but it has to do with having a complete change of thought. But when Jesus says this kingdom is near, it's available to you, but how do you enter it? You enter it through repentance and faith. It's not about feeling bad, bad about yourself. It's not even really, at the end of the day, feeling bad about your sins. Listen, I'm not saying godly sorrow is not important. The Bible does talk about godly sorrow. Godly, listen, if I love somebody and I hurt them and I realize I hurt them, I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel sorrowful that I hurt them. But that's not primarily what we're talking about. What Jesus is saying is this kingdom is here. If you want to have a part of it, how do you enter into it? Through faith and repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is a total turnaround of your way of thinking and of your approach to the world. It's a total transformation. 
And it is a big thing, I understand, but it is also a gift of God. It is a miraculous gift that when you hear the good news message, God kindles something in your heart that says, yes, I want a part of that. I want to be involved with that. And so in this moment of receiving the kingdom, your life does a total turnaround. And so the other thing is we could think of repentance and faith as two sides of the same coin. And let's imagine that you in your life right now, you're, you're spiraling, spiraling out of control, that your life is consumed by, by darkness, by sin. Maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's, it's sexual immorality. Maybe it's drugs. I mean, whatever, whatever. Maybe it's pride and greed. Whatever the case may be. It, it looks different for everybody. But, but let's say your life is firmly within the grips of something, and you, you hate it, but you can't help yourself. Jesus says the kingdom is here. It's near. Enter it through faith and repentance. God is inviting you in faith and repentance to let go of everything that you know and all that sin, all that garbage, to do a complete 180 turnaround, to leave that stuff in the, in the back and to move forward in trust with God. It's really, at the end of the day, it's simple. It's something God does in our hearts, but it represents a radical departure from the old to the new. So what does this look like? It's always very practical. Um, there's a couple different examples of this in the New Testament, but one of the things that seemed to happen with some frequency would, would be you have tax collectors who would experience faith and repentance, repentance and faith. What does that look like? Well, think about it. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He regularly overcharged people and ripped them off because he worked for the Romans, and he was highly, highly greedy. He knew that he was not a good person, so no one needed to convince him of that. He already felt bad enough about that, plus he was short, so he was very insecure about his, about his height. But when he sees Jesus coming, he climbs up into a tree. He's so eager to meet Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Zacchaeus wants to be a part of it in some sense. And so Jesus notices Zacchaeus in the tree, this tax collector, this fraud, this thug. And he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And then Zacchaeus is overwhelmed in that moment. What does repentance and faith look like for Jesus? Repentance and faith for Zacchaeus means, I'm going to pay back all these people that I've ripped off, and I'm going to welcome Jesus into my home. It's very simple. I'm going to stop doing the bad things I've been doing. I'm going to do a 180 turn. I'm going to leave that life behind, that life of darkness, that life of sin, and I'm going to welcome Jesus into my home. That's faith and repentance. It's very simple. Uh, Paul, when Paul was persecuting the Christians, so he was a violent man. He hated the church, hated Jesus. He hated what Christians were doing to Judaism, and so he sought to imprison people, kill people if they were Christians. God meets him on the road, changes his life. So what does repentance and faith look like for Paul? Very simple. I'm going to stop killing Christians, and now I'm going to promote Christianity instead. I'm, I was fighting against God. Now I'm going to fight for God. You see, your life is heading in one direction. The kingdom of God is offered to you. What does God say? It says, do a 180 turn, leave behind that old life, start following me. So friends, that, that's the invitation. It, it's, it's a simple one. Leave behind the old, leave behind the darkness, leave behind the garbage, step out in faith, step out in trust, and come follow me. So those are the three corrections. Let me uh, say a word then about what exactly discipleship is all about. And it is at this point that Jesus, as he's going around, he's preaching the good news. 
he immediately begins to form a following of people who will be his disciples. But the thing that I want to point out is that in verse 17, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. And so the important thing to realize here is that it wasn't Jesus's job to, it wasn't his goal, I think, to start a church, but it was his goal to start a movement. And as Jesus is going into the countryside, he's proclaiming the gospel, he's going to the Lake of Galilee, he's calling followers to him. But he says at the very, very beginning that these followers are going to be fishers of men. So it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and I'll make your life better. He doesn't say, come follow me and I will send you to heaven when you die. He doesn't even say, come follow me and I will forgive your sins. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the thing that as we are two churches, for those of you that don't know, the two churches are coming together right now, right? Grace Faith and City Grace Church. We need to think about discipleship. And we need to think about this fundamental aspect of discipleship, which is this thing called fishing for men. The point that I want to make here is that when Jesus invites somebody to follow him, he also invites us to participate in his mission. See, what Jesus is doing as he's going out and proclaiming the gospel is he's also calling people who will then continue the movement. He's calling people who will go out and do the exact same things that he's been doing, who will proclaim the kingdom of God and be inviting people into this kingdom. So part of Right? To, to be totally as clear as, as I can be about this, part of discipleship is missions. Part of being a follower of Jesus is being invited, in, invited into the people business, the business of impacting people for Christ. God wants to use every single person that would consider themselves to be a disciple to also have an impact on other people to invite them into the kingdom of God. Now listen, I know that there are probably many of you who are professionals, maybe you work at, at Goldman Sachs or something like that. And so you're thinking to yourself, well, let me think about what it means for me to be a Christian living out my discipleship at Goldman Sachs. And probably what you'd say is, well, I think, you know, being proselytizing would not get me very far. And so I think I'm just going to like keep my faith on the down low. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus really hard. I'm going to be the best professional that I can be. So I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, I'm going to be a team player. I'm going to try not to have an attitude to support my, my colleagues and be really excellent at what I do. That's great. That's, that's good. I think that, you know, that I would hope that at a minimum that, that you would, that as a Christian professional in whatever field you're doing, that you would do those things. But the thing is, if you're at Goldman Sachs, then you know, probably everybody there is like really hardworking, really talented. So I guess my question would be that how does that actually set you apart in any way, right? Or maybe you're wondering, okay, I'm at NYU and I'm a Christian. And so what does it look like for me to live out my faith in the context of being a student at NYU or being in the law school or something? Like that? Well, I can work really hard. I can, I can study. And my worship is my, you know, is my, is my work. And I, I agree with that. In a sense, your work is your worship. But the thing is, imagine that I have a great friend and I'm spending time with this person and getting to know him. We really like going for bike rides together. We really like playing baseball together. Or sorry, I don't play baseball. Whatever, we like playing basketball together. Um, and let's say that, you know, two months go by, three months go by, and I feel like this person's really starting to be my friend, and then one day, the guy drops to me that he's, that he has a wife, that he's married, and let's say that for three months that I've been hanging out with this guy, spending time with him, 
he never once mentioned to me that he was married. I would be completely offended. I'd be like, I thought I knew you. I guess I don't really know you at all. If you're married and you never even bothered to tell me. And I would be like, do you really even love your wife that much? If like you're married to a person, but like you didn't tell anybody that you were, that you were married. So do you, do you see the disconnect there? So I agree, you know, Evan, Evan, you work at Goldman, right? So this sermon's for you, buddy. Now, I'm, not really, I'm not really picking on Evan. This is just an example. But I agree we need to do our jobs to the best of our ability, and that's part of how we witness. Is, but you've got to connect the dots for people. How, just because you're a good employee, just because you work hard, just because you're kind, they're not going to put two and two together. People are not going to get, oh, he must love Jesus. Look at what a great employee you know, he is. They're not going to make sense of that. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there a little bit more. We're all called to be fishers of men. We're not all called necessary to be foreign missionaries. Like that, I understand. Like some people, that's a calling. It's a distinct, distinct calling. But what I'm trying to say here is that being missional is not an, an additional kind of extracurricular for some limited group of Christians. But being missional and being part of a church that's missional and being a part of a community that is together carrying on the Great Commission, carrying on the movement of Jesus, proclaiming the arrival of this life-changing reality into the world is something that we need to all be about the business of doing that. And friends, people who are new to their faith, who have been Christians for like two, three, four months, are telling everybody, and they don't even know Jesus that well. So how does it make sense then for, for those of us that grew up in the church, we've been Christians for like 30, 40 years, we've tasted the goodness of Jesus since the time we were babies, right? We know the scriptures inside and out, and yet we're like, we're so proper. We, like, we, we want to like keep it on the down low, don't want to embarrass ourselves, certainly don't want to offend everybody. Whereas somebody who just became a Christian is like telling everybody, they're going to look at us who have been Christians our whole lives and be like, these people have been Christians their whole lives, they've known God their whole lives, and yet they don't tell anybody about the good news of the gospel. Does not make sense. Does not make sense. And so I realize, and I am no different than you, I'm not. I am no different than you. I am super self-conscious about putting myself out there. I am afraid of what people will think about me if I'm too evangelistic, if I'm too upfront with my faith. We got to get over that. We just have to get over it. How is the church going to grow if people won't get over it? And I think, and what I've come to experience is that, listen, you put yourself out there once or twice. You cross that hurdle that of inhibition that hurdle of worry, and you will realize that nothing bad's going to happen. Like the worst people that what's going to happen is people think, okay, you're a little off or something, but no one's going to hate you, no one's going to kill you, no one's going to, you know, persecute you. Not in America. So, and God is saying, let's be my followers, but also be a part of a movement. Don't just come to church, build the church, right? Don't just go to programs. Invite people. Put yourself out there. Take some risks. Um, during family holiday, uh, we usually get together with my extended family on Christmas. And our family Christmas can end up being, I'm convinced, really no different from family holiday that any secular people are having. Eat a lot of good food. We do a lot of presents. But really... My wife and I felt convicted at one point. We're like, we're all believers, and yet sometimes it feels like God's really not 
He's not the focus of Christmas. It's the stuff. It's all the family gatherings. It's the presents. We make a huge deal about that. But like, where's God in the midst of this? And so very awkwardly, one, one holiday, I suggested that, um, that we have like a family, <laughs> kind of a family time where we get together and share kind of the highs and lows of our life and pray for each other and pray about what, what God was doing. And, you know, they actually received it pretty well. But, like, it's astonishing that that, that hadn't happened before in a family of believers that, that we would just get together for family holidays and really not spend more of an intentional time focusing on God. So as you're thinking about what it means to be a, a fishers of men, I'm positive God's put people in your life that you need to change how you think about your relationship, right? And mom and dad for those of you who are young, are not just people that you go home to that cook you a nice meal, right, on like Labor Day weekend or whatever. But mom and dad are people that you could shine the light of Christ to them. And maybe you have relatives who are not believers, right? They're not just your cousins. They're not just your second cousins, right? You're a fisher of men. God, maybe God's put you in their life because he wants you to to be the one that points them towards the cross, that points them towards this new reality that God's bringing into your life. I think that that's how God wants us to think about our lives. Being missional is not for the advanced, quote-unquote, advanced Christians. It is, it's an invitation to all of us to be fishers of men. The walk of discipleship is the walk of being a missionary, being missional, thinking about how we can impact people. We are all in the family business. The family business is, at the end of the day, the people business. Every Christian is about impacting people. Think about that. So I'm going to close by just saying, how did the disciples respond to Jesus? Did they say, mm, we got some fish we got to catch here. Jesus, come back in a week, come back in a year. We're going to think and pray about whether we want to do this or not. Seems like you're kind of asking a lot. You just want us to leave and follow you. But the examples we're given is that in both cases with Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and James and John, the two sets of brothers, in both cases, the disciples dropped immediately everything they were doing and they follow Jesus. And so I'm going to put it out there right now because as I proclaim the gospel to you, as I announce the coming of the kingdom, now is an opportunity for you to receive it. Now is an opportunity for you to ask yourself the same question that Jesus' early disciples asked themselves, which is, do I want to be a part of this? Do I want to accept it? Do I want to receive it? Do I want to be a part of heaven now? And is there brokenness or is there longing in your life is there some sort of tyranny that you believe jesus could free you from because i believe he can and i believe that's what the kingdom of heaven does it brings release it brings love it brings belonging it brings acceptance it's here it's available to you right now and all you have to do is say yes you say yes now, in a sense, it's a little bit more complicated, right? Because in both situations, the disciples did have to leave something. The word left is used twice in our passage. The first disciples, Simon and Peter and Andrew, they had to leave the boat. They had to say goodbye to the boat. Boat, we're done with you. We're going to 
We're going to go follow Jesus. And then, and then uh, the other two, James and Andrew, James and John, sorry, they had to leave their father, it said. They had to leave their father. But they did. They said, Dad, you got the hired hands. are going to help you now. We got to go follow Jesus. So the invitation to say yes to Jesus is an invitation to leave behind the old, to leave behind the darkness, to leave behind the brokenness, hand it off, and to say yes to Jesus. And that yes to Jesus is never just up here, but it is action. It is joining a church, joining a ministry, getting involved, picking up your Bible and starting reading. It is a release. It is letting go. It is grabbing a hold of Jesus in some practical, tangible way. That is the invitation. Friends, an invitation like this does not come every day. You do not want to play Russian roulette with God, right? Why put it off? Why put it off? Right? He could come back at any moment. We just don't know how life is going to turn out. But now is the opportunity. Now is a chance to say yes. And so I encourage you, turn away from your addiction. Turn away from sexual promiscuity. Turn away from greed and pride. Turn away from those things. Say yes to Jesus and see. See what the kingdom can bring into your life. I encourage you, if you haven't done so now, receive it in faith. Step into the kingdom and begin to experience God being Lord of your life. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Uh, band, I will encourage you, welcome you to come back. So can we just take a, a few moments of silence? I want you just to imagine that it's not me standing up here, but imagine Christ. Imagine Jesus. Is, he's proclaiming this good news kingdom. He's proclaiming a new reality that is breaking into the world. And he is smiling, and he has this incredible offer that seems too good to possibly be true, which is come, receive, enjoy. Be a part of heaven now. Experience it now. Taste it now. Be freed from your sin. Be freed from your addiction. Be freed from whatever it is that is tyrannizing you. Step into the love of the Father. Step into the acceptance of the Father. Step into the victory that Jesus has won for you in the cross. It's free. It's completely free. It's available to absolutely anybody who will put their faith and trust in Christ. Just imagine, just imagine Jesus even now preaching that to you. So there may be one or two of you that are in here that perhaps you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Um, and, if, and if that's you this morning, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer for you. And I just encourage you two things. First of all, to say that prayer with me in your own heart. And then uh, we're going to have our prayer counselors. We'll be, we'll be up in the back. Um, Joanne is here. Isaac. Is Isaac here? Isaac is here. Um, so they're back there. Um, they'd be happy to pray with you. I'll encourage you to pray that prayer in your heart. And then I would like you to go and to talk to one of them or come find me and talk to me. And just let, it, let us know that, that this has happened. And let us pray for you this morning so that you can be confirmed. And um, just know that other people are, are excited for you and happy that you've made this decision. So if you want to pray that prayer, it could go something very simple like this. Lord, I'm... 
I'm sorry for the for the ways that I've sinned and the ways that I've committed wrongs and the mistakes that I've made. But Lord, in faith, I accept your love. I accept your invitation. I accept your forgiveness. I put my faith and trust in you, knowing that you receive me into your kingdom. Please help me, Lord, to, to come to experience heaven now, your love, your peace, your forgiveness. So again, if you prayed that, that prayer in your heart this morning, I'd encourage you to, to share that with somebody. Come, come talk to me in a minute here or come talk to um, one of the prayer counselors and just, just share and they'll, they'll continue to pray for you. And for the rest of you, I'm going to invite you to stand, um, if you wouldn't mind standing now. If you're able, if you're able. And let's pray God makes us fishers of men. Lord, would you make us fishers of men just like you were, casting out nets, seeing if there's anybody out there who will respond to this message. We can't control people. We can't change people. All we can do is announce this good news. It's such good news. May we be a witnessing community. May we be a missional community. Help us, Lord, to overcome our fears, to overcome our inhibitions, not to be afraid what people are going to think, but be willing to put ourselves out there. We have nothing to lose. We have nothing to be afraid of, Lord. You are watching over us. But you desire to use people who will step out in faith, who will step out in boldness who will be fishers of men. May we receive the invitation, Lord. Encourage us, Lord. Forgive us for our failures, but help us to be keenly aware through those opportunities that the Spirit gives us that we have a chance to be able to speak into people's lives. We are in the people business in the same way that you were, Jesus. Lord, make us your missionaries wherever we are, at Goldman, at NYU, at the post office, at the hospital at home, wherever we are, Lord, may we be your ambassadors.